some people may be thinking, well, why is the why are the family and friends so valuable? Because when we are in love, we have on rose club colored glasses and we don't necessarily look at things objectively. Now, are there certain family members who might be giving advice based on their own issues? Um, you know, where, um, uh, the person isn't, uh, you know, they don't feel that the person is smart enough for their Mm. son or daughter, or they don't think that they're good luck, good looking enough for their son or daughter, etc. Okay. Barring those, if you have a family member who truly has your interests at heart, there's a much better chance that they're going to see the reality because they don't have the rose colored glasses on. This week, how does the quality and nature of how you met your spouse impact your relationship down the road? Dr. Karen Sherman explores this issue. Stay tuned. Can you feel it? The power coursing through your veins. Underneath the lights. Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchedmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. We're on top of the world Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the original, Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. She is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. Karen is also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can find this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. So today we're going to talk about uh, what the quality of... the arrangement, like how you met your spouse and is there a a difference in the quality and what does that say about the likelihood of your marriage surviving, uh, based on the circumstances of how you met your spouse. So a new study out of the UK's marriage foundation asked people, uh, who are or have been married, how they met their first spouse. Uh, And the results show that marriages are much more likely to quickly end in divorce for couples who met in one particular way. So they looked at 2,000 people who are ever married, adults aged 30 and over, and the data has been weighted to represent that of the UK population. So, uh, you know, we are a US-based podcast, but this is based on UK data. Um, although I will say, having looked at some UK data, um, trends, and this will come up later on, trends in marriage um, are fairly similar uh, between the United States and the uh, United Kingdom. So just keep that in mind. Um Until the 2000s, the majority of participants, so two-thirds of married couples, met 
either through family and friends or through social settings such as bars or parties. So that's two-thirds. Today, it's less than 50%. The big spike, not surprising, uh, has happened online, and it's currently at roughly about 28%. So my first question, Karen, is do you think that it matters how you met your spouse? I do. I do. And I think that it's not just did you meet through uh, family and friends or did you meet um, at bars or parties? I think there's something more um, that may not be obvious at first about people who meet online. So I do think that there is a difference. Okay. Do you want me to discuss that now or shall I hold that um, out to later? I I'll hold it for later. And then okay. I... I have a follow-up question already to your response, okay. so I'm going to hold that as well. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the data shows even after taking into account gender, age, occupation, couples who met online post-2000 had higher divorce rates, but only, and I think this is important too, but only during the first three years of marriage. And then five, ten, it, it, it's basically the same. Why do you think the, they have a higher rate of divorce in those first three years? Okay, so in part, what I was going to answer for the first question comes into this. Um, I think that there is something artificial about living, uh, um, meeting people online. Um, I, we know for a fact that many people who put their profiles up are not totally honest about who they are. Um, and I think, and, and this is, I have no, um, actual data for this, but this is just a feeling I have Mm -hmm. that you're talking about people who are past 30 and they're online and it may be that they are a little bit more desperate in trying to find a mate. Um, the mean age for getting married is mid twenties, you know, 27, 28, whatever. Um, so if they're past 30 and they haven't found anybody yet, there may be, um, a greater willingness to settle. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to interject really quick. Go ahead. The surveys were of people aged 30 and over. So it's not that they got married after 30. It's just that that's Uh, when they were answering the questions. Okay. Okay. That being said, then I'm not going to say there's the desperation of being older, but I still think that, um, in, after the two thousands, you know, at that time period, we seem to do much more, um, online and we are not relying as much on meeting somebody through friends and family. We're not doing the bar scene as much. Um, there's a safety to doing things online. Um, you can cut it short. You don't have to get yourself all dressed up and go out, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's um, perhaps not as much of, um, skin in the game, so to speak. And so again, 
uh, you find somebody, they look good online, you may not have as much of an opportunity to really get to know them. And so I think that's going to show up in the first couple of years. I think if you make it past the first couple of years, that you then start to even the playing field out. You know each other better. You understand each other better. Um, you've been through, you know, more ups and downs with each other. And so, um, I think that, you know, if you make it past three years, you have a better chance of, uh, things going well. Whereas in the first three years, you've got that other piece that is not having had the opportunity to really get to know the person. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, that's, you know, just my thinking. It is, right. I have no statistics for it. Right. So, um, I wanted to put a couple things into context really quick. Okay. So 2000, um, was, uh, for those who may be a little young, that was the dot com boom slash bust mm -hmm. timeframe. Um, 2000 is also the year that eHarmony launched. So, mm -hmm. um, online dating, uh, if you want to start at 2000, um, was just beginning. I mean, people were online already. Um, you know, they were dialing up and, and there's the famous, uh, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, you got mail film. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was based on the AOL days, which is like mid to late nineties. And, um, for those who don't remember those days, like the internet was, you logged into AOL <laughs> and that was, that wasn't a wide web. It was a very narrow web. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of how you lived online. And then things opened up in the two thousands. That's where this like boom happened, um, mm -hmm. with the, with the web browsers and things. So, um, I just want to point out that one thing to take into consideration is we know technology gets better over time. We know algorithms get better over time. So, and, and again, to you, what you've been saying, I don't have the data on this, but I would have to assume that the matching technology also improved from the early 2000s to where we are today. Um, the second thing that I wanted to point out was back in 2000, there were no digital natives. They were all, everybody was a digital immigrant. Everybody was feeling their way out through the internet. Today, we have people who have grown up and our early adults, uh, young adults, who do not know life or the world without the internet. Those are digital natives. I wonder if they spliced this data and looked at couples married in the last 10 years, if the rates of divorce in those first three years would be different than those who married around the 2000 timeframe. Because there's more technologically savvy they because part of what the researchers are going to get to is and what I feel is the reason for this um, spike in divorce is not being able to filter out the the warning signs and the and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh, the the troubles that may present themselves early on in a relationship and you're married and then it's too late um, I feel like today's uh, consumers of the internet are just naturally more savvy and a grant granted that's a broad brush to paint all people young online. Um, but that's, that's just a, I think it would be an interesting follow-up study for them to do. 
I really appreciate everything you've been saying. You know, you're much uh, more technologically savvy than I am. And I think that the points you raise um, are very significant. And perhaps you are right that if they looked at marriages in the more recent years, as opposed to right around 2000 or a little bit after, you're, you are right. It probably would um, indicate marriages staying together um, in spite of the fact that they were, uh, you know, introduced online. Um, however, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, when I'm talking to people who are using dating sites and the internet, there are major complaints about the fact, again, that people are not presenting who they really are, that you can go through hundreds and hundreds of profiles and not find somebody that's really a right match for you. So to your point about they have the, a better ability to match people, I'm, st- I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Right. Now, there are some sites that are supposedly higher end sites, but you got to pay for those, you right. know, a much higher, uh, much higher fee. So, um, people might be more successful with that, but everybody that I've heard say, Oh God, you know, you have to go online and it's, it's such a chore and it's a hassle. And the people you meet there are really, you know, not good. And you just have to, you know, and what I've said to people is you just have to keep working and you have to, you know, do the numbers, but it's, it's, I think I still think it's different than when family and friends introduce you to somebody, hoping that they know a little bit about the person, they know, you know, their background, they just have a better feel for who they are. And so if I say, I really think this would be somebody that you would get along well with, I, I sort of trust that. Unless I'm just being old fashioned. I, it, it's interesting because there's a couple things that come into play for me on this. Um, one, as w- w- technology is applied to everything, mm-hmm. we have become more efficient with the things that technology has been applied to. So it would take a lot of work to go and date or suss through a hundred potential dates mm-hmm. online. That's super fast, right? You can swipe, yes. swipe, swipe, swipe. Um, right. So I think there's that part of it. So I don't think the numbers tell the full story there. Second, Mm -hmm. um, again, how things have changed in 20 years. And remember, like the smartphone revolution didn't happen until mid to late 2000. Mm -hmm. So this is, I mean, we're talking before the iPhone existed. Mm. Um, if, if we want to go all the way back to the early two thousands, um, there are now hookup sites, which demonstrates a different intention than dating sites Mm -hmm. where, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the other interesting thing, and maybe we should move on to the next question on this. Um, but I think it comes into play. So the next question I'll just, I'll just ask, and then I'll just continue on this point really quick. Mm -hmm. So the researchers note the importance of social capital. So it's what you were just describing, the cumulative support, the wisdom and love from family members and friends, Mm-hmm. during the early years of marriage. So they are the ones that are connecting people. And to your point, it's, well, I know you're interested in this. I know this guy's a good guy. He, she's a good girl or she's a good guy and vice, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so they have kind of done some filtering automatically for mm-hmm. you. And I mm-hmm. think there might be something there, right? Um, mm-hmm. What's interesting about this is 
when you go into the data of this study, um, workplace, which does not include, well, it doesn't include family. It could include friends, but Mm -hmm. also, um, school and university. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, like that is like actually a really low number of where people found their spouse in this data. Um, Mm -hmm. but it also has a super low rate of divorce, which Mm -hmm. gets into, it didn't have that filtering factor from family and friends, but I mean, could be friends, right? Like everybody has friends at um, in college or university, um, but it does say something to the relatability, and we talk mm-hmm. about like values and goals, and you know, nines get with nines and fours get with fours, right, and right. when you're both in that kind of like thing, it's like you know where you're heading, and there's there's like a quality that you can recognize in that mm-hmm. environment. So. Um, I guess my question after going through all of that is, um, does that social capital element of all of this stuff ring true to you? And I, I I think you've already kind of said yes. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Absolutely. It does. And, you know, one of the things that I would say at the end, but I'll say it now is I'm always kind of surprised when I see high school sweethearts that have stayed together for a really, really long time, 50 years, 60 years, because we know that the more educated people are, the better their chances are of having a solid marriage. Mm -hmm. So as I was looking at these questions and I thought about that, I thought, well, why is that? And I thought, well, maybe it's because they're high school sweethearts. They've grown up together. They really know each other. They, you know, have the same values. They have the same experiences. There's a lot of um, connecting factors for people who marry their high school sweethearts and have known them for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's my add on, but I think again, it goes to not quite the social capital from the point of view of established family and friends, but the history and the, um, familiarity, um, and the sense of safety and connection that has grown through all those years. Mm-hmm. Do you, so that high school sweetheart comment that you just made, do you think it would matter if say somebody transferred over, uh, and started high school and that was the first time they met versus somebody who grew up and went through elementary school all the way through high school? Again, no stats, but my gut says that it wouldn't be as solid. So the, basically like the longer you've known this person, the more you've been able to figure out the, the issues, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and that gets into the social capital. Your family and friends, uh, they know you best, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the one thing that keeps sticking in my mind, um, and, and this gets back to how the UK and the United States are somewhat similar, is that the divorce rates in the UK have been falling for decades, since the mm-hmm. 80s. Um, and as we know, uh, divorce peaked in the United States in 1978. Um, so... Should this really be much of a concern, uh, the the quality of meeting through online versus other aspects, if the overall trend uh, is decades peaked? Um, 
you know, on one hand, no, it shouldn't be a concern. But for the people who got divorced, I think that they're, they've gone through pain and suffering and emotional turmoil. And if it could have been alleviated uh, by meeting somebody via a different path, then sure, it's, it, it matters, you mm-hmm. know, um, to them it matters. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't think we can totally ignore it. So it's a lessons learned thing for those yeah. who, and, and, um, the last question here is obviously most of our listeners, uh, are married or at least in a very long-term relationship. Um, you can't change how you met your spouse if you're already with them. Um, so, it does is there anything that they can glean from this? Is there something that they might be able to reassess or heed the warning about not having gone through that social capital filtering process um, that they can now do something about it? Is there is there anything they can do with this information? I guess is my big question. So I think probably um the way it might show up is that there are certain uh, differences in the way they think or understanding each other's needs or whatever. And the more that a couple can be open and vulnerable and express themselves, the more they have the opportunity to uh, make changes in their relationship. Um, I think that, you know, as you said, you can't change it now, but I think if you understand that there may have been certain shortcomings that you didn't see because of the way you met, acknowledge what those differences are. You can't make a change unless you're aware. So acknowledge what they are and then, you know, work on them together uh, vis-a-vis discussions and clear communication and really listening to your partner so that you can move from there, which you know, that's, those are all good things to make a marriage work anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's solid advice. Um, and I have nothing to add. So, and I know you, the only thing thing I want to add is some people may be thinking, well, why is the, why are the family and friends so valuable? Because when we are in love, we have on Rose Club, colored glasses. And we don't necessarily look at things objectively. Now, are there certain family members who might be giving advice based on their own issues? Um, You know, where um, uh, the person isn't, uh, you know, they don't feel that the person is smart enough for their Mm. son or daughter, or they don't think that they're good luck, good looking enough for their son or daughter, etc. Okay, barring those, if you have a family member who truly has your interests at heart, there's a much better chance that they're going to see the reality because they don't have the rose colored glasses on. So especially if several people are saying it, your family, your friends, whatever, you have to pay attention to it. Um, you know, there, there are some listeners we have who may not actually, um, tied the knot yet. Um, and again, I'm not even saying that you should not go ahead with your plans, but do Pay attention to it. Don't ignore it and say, you know, oh, they don't know. I'm in love. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more likely to see certain things that you're not. 
So this, I mean, this is like really tough, right? Because on the one hand, you want that honest feedback. Mm -hmm. On Mm -hmm. the other hand, if you're about to make a lifetime commitment, it's going to be really weird having Mm -hmm. that relationship where you see those people, those family members or friends who are like, oh yeah, I remember them saying that my spouse was not the right person for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you, how do you balance that? How do you, how do you offer, um, warning type feedback about the relationship without it affecting your future relationship with those people? Okay, so let me see if I'm understanding you correctly. What you're saying is you're already married. No, no, because um, oh, okay. you were you were bringing up the fact that there are some people listening to this who aren't married. Yes, yet. yes. Okay, um, I just make yeah. sure I understand. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So I think that the outsiders, the people who are not involved, you know, who aren't the couple, I think that it would behoove you to present your concerns in a caring, loving, constructive way. Mm-hmm. Not things like, oh, this will never work out, or this isn't the right person for you, or I know better. I think it's got to be presented as something like, you know, um, every time we go out to dinner, I've noticed that Joe has three martinis. And I just want you to think about, you know, what that means. Is that something possibly that is indicative of a larger problem. Mm. And I'm not telling you not to go ahead with Joe, but I just wanted to bring that to your attention. So you do it Uh, almost in like a probing, questioning type manner. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, I know better than you. Right. Right. So you get the, so I, I, I guess you get your, uh, friend or family member to think about the red flags that you might be seeing from Mm -hmm. the outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I like that. That's good. That's good advice. And, um, I guess because you brought it up, if this kind of thing was brought up to you in a less than delicate manner in the past, Mm -hmm. and there's still some resentment you're holding on to because you and your spouse are now in a good place or have always been in a good place, but this person was trying to put the kibosh on it before you tied the knot. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you, um, heal that relationship? Just do you, do you talk about it? Do you just like ignore it and, and move forward? What, what's the best tactic for that? I'm going to give you my standard answer. It depends. I have to tell you, Steve, I lived that. My mother-in-law did not want Richie to marry me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into details why, um, but she did not want him to marry me. And, you know, obviously we're, we're now married, uh, almost 50 years. Um, and you know, for, for many years, what I basically did is I still acted nice, but it really upset me. Um, and I think what helps is if you have a mate who can hear you're upset and validate it and be supportive. Um, you know, I believe that blood talks to blood. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the child of a parent who has done this can say, look, you know, um, I heard you. I thought about, I actually gave thought to what you said because I value your opinion. But, you know, um, I'm still going ahead with this or we've been married and, you know, I hope you see now that 
um, things are working out um, and, you know, attempt to maybe try to get the uh, parent uh, to act in a way where they do some form of an apology. But again, Steve, it depends. It depends Mm -hmm. on who the people are. In some cases, you're going to have to ignore it. In some cases, you may want to discuss it directly. In some cases, depending on how badly uh, the spouse was treated, they may end up not really speaking to the uh, to the parent. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's a whole bunch of different variables. So sure. I don't know that I would make one blanket statement about, okay, here's what you do. Right. So I guess um, if I can sum up it, um, for reconcilable situations, some of the tips would be blood talks to blood mm-hmm. validation. So um, telling the, the person who offered that uh, critique or however you want to describe it, um, that you heard them uh, so that they know that they were listened to mm-hmm. Um and I suppose in the best case scenario, if that person then being able to, uh, you know, come out and basically say like, I, I was wrong or I see more clearly now, mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, my, my concerns were unfounded and I'm happy that they, yes. they turned out to be that way. Kind of. A yes. Thing. You so. did a lovely summary. Okay. Well, with that, I don't want to ruin it. Uh, let's, let's call <laughs> this one a show. So thank you so much for your time, Karen. Always a pleasure to speak with you, Steve. Thank you. Same. Um, Before we go, I want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years, uh, married almost 50. Um, (laughs) uh, She is the author. And I'm only 54. That's amazing. That's amazing. amazing. (laughs) The first three years were the toughest. Yes. Um, uh, uh, Karen is the uh, author of Mindfulness, the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. Uh, You can find this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. And of course, you can find all of this on our website, hitchmag.com, where we have thousands and thousands of free articles available to you on a wide variety of subject matters. Um, We also have the complete archive of our podcast, over 600 episodes available to you there. Um, And we have a newsletter that goes out that is free as well each Monday uh, evening. And so if you like what you're hearing, um, please give a rating and review. It it does. It honestly helps us. So that would be much appreciated. Um, And with that, we will call this one a show. Until next time. Take care, everybody. each other's eyes we know that it's showtime clear our heads of all our worries and fears now we know it's go time